What a great song, um, Walk by Faith. It really fits the direction that, that God's been given. And, you know, I'll, if, if I'm not in the midst, I'll, I'll pray and I'll ask God, okay, what am I supposed to bring forth out of his word? Because he's, he's really put a lot in here. Um, I, I was taught in school, one of my professors says, you know, with a, with a pantry this full, you never have an excuse for serving up a poor meal. And I was like, yeah, y'all don't get that, do you? This is, this is like food. This is, this is good. Um, but God's given us so much, and I'll pray, and God will give me, like, okay, I want you to teach this, and it's going to take a while, and so I'll be in the midst of a series. Um, right now, I'm not in the midst of a series, so weekly, I'm like, all right, what, God, what is it? What is it? What is it? And really, um, kind of, I would say, a general theme is to seek God and follow his direction and walk in faith in what he's shown you to do. And, uh, and so, anyway, great song, good, good, good selection, and it just, it just fits quite well. Now, I do want to tell you a little bit, uh, Shelby did mention a little bit, we got Fellowship February coming up, coming up. and listen, we, we, we emphasize fellowship here because it is missing in the world today. Um, people um, feel like they are connected to one another, but this is not close to what God has called us to be connected with. Um, to go over there and to put a little digital thumbs up on people's pictures. That's not the way God has called us to love one another. Um, and really, like God didn't put together the church so that there would be a spiritual show for everybody to watch once a week. All right? That, that there's meant to be a community that cares for one another and, and, and loves one another. And that's what we're, what we're striving at is to be that kind of biblical community. And so we emphasize fellowship. Now, I'm going to pause here. I got all my kiddos here. Uh, let me dismiss the kids um, to Children's Church. If it's not working, you know, do your best. The, my son's over here saying the camera's not working. And so if you like to watch me on the internet, you just, just feel privileged. You get to watch me here. You, everybody on the internet's just going to get to listen this week. Um, but anyway, kids, y'all have a great time at Children's Church. A bunch of them today. Good looking. But, but, but we emphasize fellowship because it's, um, fellowship is, is, goes deeper than talking about the Cowboys and talking about the weather, which we ought to be in a good mood today because the Cowboys won, right? You know, everybody in a good mood? I'm wearing blue because of that. Boot, somebody booed. Okay. You're in a place of forgiveness and, you know. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, um, but, but fellowship really is deeper than that. Uh, and you have to really develop trust with folks. When we do our five-minute meet and greet, really, one of the things that I'm praying for is that, that you're able to build relationships, make connections, that you might end up having lunch with somebody in the course of the week, that you might invite somebody over to your house for dinner because of that, that we really begin to, um, to share one another's lives. And, it, and it's just got, it's got to go, we have to intentionally go past the surface. So we've got Fellowship February, just a month where we are going to emphasize building relationships here, all right? And one of the things that, that we really could use from you um, is some help putting these, these things together, all right? We've, um, uh, the Valentine's Banquet. I mean, uh, last year, because it was new, um, all of that fell on the staff. Now, if you don't know, right now, I mean, we have a, a part-time staff, but they all work elsewhere. They're, they're not here. Um, and so, so I would really love your, your help, um, input, and especially if you've got gifts of organization, 
All right? Um, you can help us put together a good Super Bowl party. We had a great time last year, even though the Eagles... I mean, they did beat the Patriots. You know, that was, that was pretty... I like seeing the Patriots get beat, but I hate seeing the Eagles win. It's just it's not in my blood to watch that. Um, but, but we had a great time together. Ate very well, all right? I would put out the challenge to our newly developing men's ministry, um, uh, that, or at least the Sunday morning one. We got one that's Friday morning. Um, but feed us, men. You know, that's a, that's a man event. You know, get, get the wings out. Cook some, cook some beef, all right? Um, but, but could use your help with that, with the Valentine's banquet. And then one of the other things, this is something we're going to try that's new here, all right? Because um, uh, when, I, when I arrived on the scene last year, the, the church wasn't meeting on Wednesday nights, wasn't meeting on Sunday nights. We're going to try something that I don't know when's the last time it's been tried. But we're going to do a short-term series on Sunday evenings after our Valentine's banquet. Um, it's called Laugh Your Way Through Marriage. And uh, it's not something, you don't have to be married to be a part of this. You just have to be somebody who enjoys laughing. Um, but we're going to bring up, we're, we're going to, we've got on video comedians who have a message. And, you know, it, everybody can laugh at the difference between men and women. And there are laughable differences. And so that's something we're going to do on Sunday evenings um, after Valentine's Day. And that'll, that'll last from the, on Sunday nights till Till the spring break starts, and so just a short-term deal, but we're going to give that a try. I have no idea how you're going to respond to Sunday evenings, but I just want to kind of whet your appetite already out there. But we could use um, your help in this, all right? And again, God did not bring you here so that you can sit back and just enjoy a show. Like, this is a place where you get involved, and you are involved. And, and a lot of you guys already are involved, um, but I want to encourage you in that regard and invite you to be a part of it, okay? Um, Let's see. Uh, let's talk about God's will. Last week, we looked at the Old Testament story of King Jehoshaphat. Uh, he was faced with this, these insurmountable odds. Three enemy armies were coming to destroy Jerusalem, and he did not have enough time or resources to meet this danger. And the Bible tells us that, that King Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. He, he learned of a problem. It was an imminent danger, and rather than call his war council together, rather than consult with wise men or prophets, Jehoshaphat resolved to pray and to seek the Lord. The Bible says he resolved himself to pray, meaning he was not going to let him do, he was not going to let himself do anything else other than prayer. He was just going to seek the Lord. And by the end of the story, God caused the three armies to turn on themselves. And they utterly destroyed each other. And when Jehoshaphat shows up for the fight, they're all dead. And all he's got to do is collect the spoils of war. And the Bible tells us that there was so much left over that it took them three days to haul it all back to Jerusalem. And that is how our God often comes through for us. In life, we'll be faced with problems that are too big for us. But if we would trust God and follow his plan, we often find that we end up with more blessings than we can handle. And the whole point of last week's message was to encourage you to pray and to seek the Lord. We're, we're starting a 45 days of prayer here at the church, all right? This is, this is something new, and I apologize with the holidays. There's busyness in the holidays, and then we disconnect and go see family, and so there's a lot of stuff that really could be better communicated that we've just dropped the ball on, and, um, and I stand here Sunday morning going, oh, man, I wish there was a, uh, 
an insert in the bulletin again this week, but um, oversight on, on my part. Um, 45 days of prayer, encouraging us as a church body to pray. And part of that is seeking God's will. I'm convinced that you and I will never find a better plan than God's plan. And you pray and you seek that. And, And that doesn't mean that God's plan will never encounter trouble. But what I'm convinced that of all the plans that you could seek after and chase after and implement in your life, of all the plans out there, you'll never find one better than God's plan. By the way, are you aware that God has a plan for your life specifically? Hebrews 12.1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. There is a race marked out specifically for you. No one else is meant to run that race but you. It's God's plan for your life. I like Ephesians 2.10 says, We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared and advanced for us to do. See, God's got a purpose for each of you. And that purpose is far more significant than staying out of jail, being a good person, and making some money. Now, since God has a purpose and a plan for each of us, the next logical question is, how does a person know what that plan is? I mean, how do you know what God's will for your life is? How do you know when you pray and you seek God's direction, how do you know what God is telling you? How many of you have ever had this happen to you? You pray and you ask God for a question, you ask a direction, and something comes to your mind and then you're like, wait, was that you, God? Or was that me? And You've been there. It's not uncommon. Well, the Bible gives us direction on how to know God's will. So if you would, turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 12. And we get a very clear teaching on how it is that you can determine, how you can know what God is speaking to you, what God's direction for you is. Anybody got some things that you're uh, seeking God's direction on right now? Got a few of you? See, what I didn't want to happen is that I I encouraged you last week to pray, and then you're left praying, and you don't know, like, well, now what? Today we're going to kind of cover the now what. How do you know God's will in your life? There are three things necessary to know God's good, pleasing, and perfect will found right here in these verses. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Apostle Paul writes to us. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is his good and acceptable and perfect. Three things necessary to know God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. Offer yourself as a living sacrifice. Do not conform to the patterns of this world. Be transformed 
by the renewing of your mind. Let me break these three down for you. Being a living sacrifice. This is indicative of daily obedience to the Lord. A sacrifice in the Bible is a living thing that gives up its life for the sake of another, specifically a deity. We think that we've made a sacrifice when we give some of our extra. We give a little of our extra money, we give a little of our extra time, we get a little of our extra possessions. We consider that a sacrifice. But in the Bible, sacrifice was not a portion of the extra. Sacrifice was, was all. Sacrifice was when something living gave its all, gave its life for the sake of another. A sacrifice like a lamb, a living, breathing animal was killed as a sacrifice for sins. Its blood was spilt. Its heart stopped beating. Its lungs stopped breathing. And it was consumed. They did grain offerings. You had a living um, uh, being in the plant. It's cut down. It's placed on an altar, and it is burned, and it is consumed, and it is no more. That's a sacrifice. Sacrifice is not giving out of your extra. Sacrifice is giving all. But God is not calling us to be a sacrifice where we give our all, and then we are no more. Like like a sacrifice that's killed and consumed. No, God desires that you and I be a living sacrifice. God wants your all so that you can truly live. You know, when I first became a Christian, I saw this bumper sticker, and it has resonated with me for decades. It read, Jesus died for me, now I will live for him. I mean, that's basically what this verse is saying. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. He said, they're saying, it's like, look, because of the great mercy of God, shown to us by Jesus Christ giving his life to save us on that cross because God gave us such great mercy there. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Live for Jesus. Obey his commands. Follow his teachings. You say, but, but I, I really want to. I want to obey. I want to follow, but, but I'm new to following. And there's just still so much for me to learn, so much that I don't know. Let me encourage you with the Bible. Philippians 3.16 says, Only let us hold true to what we've attained. See, you don't have to be an expert on Bible knowledge for God to show you his will and his plan for his life. What you got to do is you have to hold true to what you've already attained, what God's already shown you. And God's already shown you some things. So often people, they, they desire new revelation or new information they come to church, they want something new, something they don't know. But, but why should God give us new insight when we haven't done anything with what he's already shown us? There's this uh, bold pastor in Argentina named Juan Carlos Ortiz. He pastors one of the largest churches in Argentina. And he says this, he says that the average Christian is educated at least three years beyond their level of obedience. He's so serious about people doing what God's word says that he will oftentimes preach only four or five sermons over the course of a year. Like, I don't think that would fly here in America. People would be like, I already heard that. I need something new. But his attitude is like, listen, why should I preach something new until if they're not going to do it yet? If I'm going to preach on love your neighbor... 
but you're not going to love your neighbor, what good is going on to some new information? Let's just keep preaching love your neighbor until you do it. I love that kind of boldness. Look, if you can't be obedient to what you already know, then your capacity to understand God's purpose and direction in your life, it's all but eliminated. So, so you've got this decision coming up, and you really want to know God's direction, and you pray and you ask God to guide you, and God looks at you and he says, you didn't do anything with the last thing I showed you. Why should I show you something new? I told you my plan for this area of your life, but you weren't interested in my plan. Why should I think that you're going to be interested in my plan this time? Why obedience is crucial to discerning God's will. And on top of that, not only does obedience increase your ability to discern God's will, it's the sort of worship that God desires he says, I, offer, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You know, so many people get hung up on form in worship. You know, you've, you've, you've run into them. They boast about, well, my church is better because we do this, and, and my religion is better because we do this, and everything is right here, and they're all caught up on the form of worship. We got the right rituals, the right symbols, the right motions and expressions. But so what? So what you burn the right color candle. But you, but you can't obey God. You can't love your neighbor. I mean, do you think God cares more about the clothes you wear to church than how you treat your family? I had a conversation with a young man about... Why, why God doesn't call us to religion. It's a relationship. Do you, do you, I mean, philosophically, the idea of, a, of the God of the universe who, who, who creates it all and governs it all, that he is concerned about what we are wearing, what direction we face when we're praying, the, the length of our hair, he, he's the God of the universe, and that's what he's caught up on. That's why Jesus came, and when he, when he was on earth, the people that had the most problem with Jesus were the religious people. So he's saying it's not about religion. It's about relationship. Jesus said, listen, you've got to get things right with God. Your sin is messing you up with God. You need to have faith in God's promises and let God clean you up. And once he does that, then you need to, then you need to get right with others because God loves people. And that's really consistent with what Jesus teaches. Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. Listen, wrong living will always nullify right worship. Obedience, that's your spiritual worship. True spiritual worship is not reciting particular words or reciting particular prayers True spiritual worship is being a living sacrifice, obedient to what you already know God has shown you. And if you could do that, you've got the first step in figuring out God's will in your life. That's the first part. The second is to not conform to this world. Look at verse 2. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, 
what is good and acceptable and perfect. You know, it's easy to follow the crowd. I mean, we learn that way. We, we're socialized that way. But you can't follow the crowd and follow the cross at the same time. It's been said this way. You cannot walk with God while holding hands with the devil. They're just going in two different directions. Besides, following the patterns of this world, it doesn't lead to real success. Like in Proverbs 14, 12, it says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end is the way to death. You know, let, let's, let me illustrate this with some of the challenges to marriage. You know, for years, it's been said that our national divorce rate is at 50%. And that number is based on an average of 2.4 million new marriages a year and 1.2 million divorces each year. Now, to say half of all marriages end in divorce, it's probably not accurate because those two numbers do not take into account those who are divorcing a second and a third time and, and those who remain married to their, to their first spouse, you know, from the beginning. But the reality is, is that there are a lot of marriages that struggle and far too many which end tragically. Now, before I was a Christian, I saw the pain of divorce among my peers, my uncles, my aunts, you know, all these divorce around me. And I figured out as a non-Christian, that was not something that I wanted in my life. I was young and single. I wasn't a believer, so I didn't think the way God would have me think. And I, and I was figuring out, all right, what's going to be my plan? How can I avoid this thing of divorce? And I, re, I rationalized that the reason that so many people were getting divorced is that they rushed into it and they didn't really get to know the person that they were marrying. And they didn't figure out if they were compatible or not. And I reasoned, you know what would be a smarter way to go about marriage? Live together. Get to, get to know the person up close and, 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 and deep. And, and live together for a while and then get married. Because then you could, it's kind of like test driving a car. Do I really like this car? Do I really like this spouse? I mean... That's, that made sense to me. According to numerous studies over the past few decades, research has found that living together before marriage increases a couple's chance for divorce. One study done by Bennett, Bland, and Bloom by the American Sociological Review, this is from 1988, found that the risk of divorce is 80% higher for couples who live together before marriage. See, what I once thought was wisdom would have doubled my chances for divorce. There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end is the weight of death. Canadian researchers, Hall and Zhao, they wrote in the Journal of Marriage that the popular belief that cohabitation is an effective strategy in a high divorce society rests on the common sense notion that getting to know one another before marrying should improve the quality and stability of the marriage. However, in this instance, it's looking more and more as if common sense is a poor guide. See, the Bible tells us, do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. You see, you don't look to the crowd to show you what your morals ought to be. You don't look to the crowd to tell you what is right for your life. You don't look to the crowd to tell you what is right and what is wrong. You, you don't make your highest ambition for your life to fit in with everybody else. 
Because what we've come to consider normal in our culture is really not that good. And it is far from what God has for you. You know, I spent 20 years in youth ministry. And over that time, I became of the opinion that how we date in America is a contributing factor to many of our failed marriages. I mean, typical American dating, it involves a deeply committed and romantic relationship for the purpose of getting to know one another. And so I would see these teenagers, they would have this deep commitment and deep romance while they're getting to know one another. Like, I really think it's like there's something called dating and then there ought to be something called courtship. And we don't use that word anymore. But what I see these teenagers do is they'll get deeply involved with a person. They will connect emotionally, spiritually, and physically. And it just kind of looks like a mini marriage. Then once they get to know the person and they discover things that they don't like about the person, they, they break up. They end the relationship. And when they do the breakup, it kind of looks like a mini divorce. And I mean, there's just it, like all kinds of mess in the youth ministries I was at. And this pattern would repeat, repeat over and over again from junior high through high school. If this pattern starts in junior high and repeats all the way through high school and college, doesn't it make sense that a person would by then, they've developed a habit of ending relationships that they'll carry on in the marriage? I mean, they say our divorce rate is 50%. Do you know what country has the lowest divorce rate in the world? India. In India, they practiced arranged marriages. There's no dating. There's no going out and finding who you like. Mom and dad pick for you. I'm not advocating uh, uh, arranged marriage. I know some of my singles here are like, Bob, you're making me nervous. I don't like this. I'm not, yeah. Move on, pastor. But listen. The the reason that we date the way that we do in America is because we just kind of follow the pattern. We follow the crowd. It's not working. How about you let God renew your mind? Don't Don't follow the crowd. Look into what God's will is. Following the crowd, following the patterns of this world, it's not a pattern for success and it's really not even a pattern for happiness. But it's not enough to simply observe the patterns of this world and then say, I'm not going to do what the majority does. You see, God's not instructing us to be nonconformist for the sake of nonconformity. Not doing what others are doing does not necessarily put you in line with God's will. I mean, that's as foolish as somebody who, who reads the words of Jesus when Jesus prays and says, Oh God, not my will, but yours be done. And they then interpret that in life to sit there and say, Well, if I don't want to do something then that must mean that that's what God wants me to do. I've seen people do that. That's foolish. It's one thing to determine what you're not going to do. It's another thing to determine what you are going to do. And our minds need to be renewed. We need to replace our old thoughts with the things of God. See, no one naturally thinks the way God thinks. Sin and selfishness get in the way of us sharing the mind of God. And quite frankly, we've all picked up destructive habits and and ways of thinking from the world. And those destructive thoughts, ideas, and values, they don't go away because you gave your life to Jesus. Those thoughts have to be replaced. Uh, Allow me to illustrate for marriage again. 
one of the more common struggles that couples will go to for marriage counseling is about is because it's a struggle of intimacy, which really surprises me. I mean, that's something that God designed to bring a couple closer together, and yet, for some reason, it is something that is causing greater division in many marriages. After talking with many couples about their experience and their struggles, I've concluded that one of the reasons... For this struggle is due to wrong expectations built by television and movies and other media. Yeah, you know, like I remember being young. A young person's curious about things. You haven't experienced things, and so you, you're looking for clues. And here's Hollywood ready to give you a picture of what goes on behind closed doors. And they show you this picture of love and romance and intimacy, and it is a tremendous lie. You watch in Hollywood, two people, are they'll be overcome with a feeling, so much so that they frantically, they race to get one another's clothes off, and then they ferociously attack one another. And, and that's not how life is. I can't tell you how many Hollywood actors I've seen who are so passionate that they lose their bearings and they fall out of the bed. But God's design for intimacy is not meant to be ferocious and clumsy. It's meant to be tender, loving, and spiritual. But if your only concept of love and intimacy, if it's only come from Hollywood or pornography, then you've got to replace those thoughts. You've got to unlearn those things because they'll become toxic in your marriage. And what happens is, is people... They've been looking at the lie their whole life that when they experience truth, they, they can't believe it. They're like, this, this can't be right. This, it's supposed to look like the lie. You've got to unlearn those things. If Hollywood has formed your expectations on love and intimacy, you've got to unlearn that. You've got to replace it with God's word. You know, another trend of the past 10 years is young adults not getting married because they can't find anyone who meets their expectations for a spouse. Their expectations for marriage, again, have been set up by the images they've seen in Hollywood. And they expect that the, that the right spouse for them is somebody that is going to help them change and become the best version of themselves without asking them to ever change. All right? Um, they, they expect somebody that is going to be just take them on great adventures. Um, and always want to just jump in the sack because they're just so compatible with one another. That's what they're looking. And so then they go out and they date and nobody meets those expectations. And eventually young adults have gotten to where they say, you know what, there's just nobody out there that's even close to what I am looking for. Their expectations have been set by Hollywood. You have to unlearn that you've you got to have real expectations that come out of God's word. And what you find is we're all broken people. We all need to grow. We all need to be reformed. That's a surprising trend that, that, that's been there recently. Our minds need to be remo- renewed. The world tells us, get angry and get even. 
God wants our minds to be renewed so we choose to forgive. The world tells you that you better get all you can, do for you. God would have us renew our minds and learn that it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. The world says seek control. God renews our minds to live by faith. I mean, there's, there's so much wrong thinking that leads us to wrong living. And God says don't follow the crowd. Don't conform to the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Jesus prays in the garden. He prays for future disciples like you and I. And he says, he says Father, sanctify them with your truth. That means change them. Make them better with your truth. And then he says, your word is truth. You're not going to renew your mind with the latest self-help books. You renew your mind with the thoughts of God given to you in his holy Bible. God says, let me change into something more than you've ever been. And it begins with renewing your mind. Fill your mind not with the wisdom of this world. Rather, fill your mind with the wisdom of God. Push out those, law, push out those lies, the, the lies that your mind has grabbed onto, and, and push them out with the truth of God's word. What are you listening to? Romans says, faith comes by hearing. What are you listening to? My youth ministries, I would always have a, a music exchange. Bring me that secular stuff. It's not that because the secular stuff is wrong, but it's not going to help you develop God's thoughts. Let me trade you. I'll give you Christian music. Listen to something that's at least talking about things. Like, what are you reading? What are you watching? Who are you hanging out with? Hang out with people that want to know God. I'm going to talk about that. Gather with people who are talking about God's word and God's will. How do you know God's will in your life? How can you understand what God is telling you? It's not complicated. If you'll be, be obedient to what God's already shown you, if you will choose not to go along with the crowd, and if you'll let God change you, transform you by renewing your mind, what you will develop is you will develop a connection with God where God can speak to you in a moment and you're like, I get it. You'll, you will easily recognize it. But if, you're, if your habit in life is to just occasionally come to God every now and again, you're going to struggle your entire life to understand what God is telling you because you're disconnected. It, it, this, what I'm teaching you here <clears throat> is not a quick formula to apply every now and again when you desire God's will. This is meant to be a way of life. And if you'll make it that your way of life, where you're consistently obeying what God has shown you, renewing your mind, letting him change you, not following the crowd, his will will become apparent to you. And if you live like that, where you're not conformed to this world, but you're being transformed by the renewal of your mind, then you will be able to test and discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And like Jehoshaphat that we learned last week, when you live by God's plan, you're very likely to end up with more blessing than you can handle. <clears throat> now let me end with this. Most of God's will is already written down for you. See, like I never have to pray, God, should I steal this? God, I really want that. 
I don't have the money to pay for it. Should I just take it? God, this person angered me on the road. Should I, should I just give them a, a nice bump in the, with my car? I, I, there's never a prayer like that. God's always going to tell me, it's like, no, vengeance is mine. Thou shalt not steal. God, should I hold a grudge? I'm really mad about this. Is it okay for me to hold the grudge? No. I want you to forgive the way I've forgiven you. It's written down for me. Most of God's will in your life is going to be about who you are more than it is where you work or where you live. Once, I was a youth pastor in, um, in Fort Worth, Texas. And um, I had a girlfriend. Things didn't work out with her, thank the Lord. Um, but it was really heartbreaking at the time. Um, well, so she lived in Austin. I lived in Fort Worth. It was a long-distance relationship. She got a job in Midland, Texas. I put my resume out there. And guess what? A church in Midland, Texas says, hey, come be our youth pastor. Yes. This is God's will. I'm supposed to go to Midland, be a youth pastor there, and marry my girlfriend. And then, you know, like as, as relationships get closer, the, the, the pressure builds. And as that pressure built, I was like, I want to make sure before I move out here, is this, are we really headed towards marriage? And that pressure, we couldn't withstand it, and we broke up. Now, I'm like, okay, God, what's your will here? Like, am I supposed to go to Midland and serve at a church in proximity of my ex? Like, like is that the case? At the same time, my, the church in Fort Worth says, no, 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 we want you to stay. Then, all of a sudden, a church in Stephenville, Texas calls and said, hey, we want you to come be our youth pastor. And I was like, okay, God, Close the doors on the ones I'm not supposed to go through. Open the, leave open the one I'm supposed to. All three doors stayed open. It was a crisis of belief. I used to think that how do you know God's will? If the door's closed, not his will. Doors open, it's his will. I had three doors open. What do I do? Here's what I learned. See, sometimes God's will is not where you work and where you live. It's like God would say, Bob, I want you to teach students my word, and you could do it in Fort Worth, you could do it in Midland, you could do it in Stephenville. It's your choice. That's God's permissive will. A lot of times God's will is not the specifics of what you're doing, it's who you are while you do it. That's why it's like I never have to pray. Do I need to forgive? I never have to pray. Do I serve? a given but then there are times that god says and he did this in the bible he would say i want you to go to this city and deliver this message and god is very specific and every time that god does that in the in the bible you see a a, a miraculous occurrence at the same time sometimes god will tell you hey i want you to go here specifically i believe that god told me to come to willow bend church this was the place that i would be in his will at it wasn't, it wasn't open. He did that with me once. This time he says, nope, you go right here. How do you know that? Every time in the scriptures when God gets specific, you see a picture of the miraculous. Now, I'm not telling you that you need to look for the miracles to determine God's specific will. What I am telling you is when God is specific with you, he is going to make it clear. Like, and God knows how to make it clear. He made it clear to me that I was supposed to date and marry my wife, Julie. 
one of the best walks of faith I've ever done, right? He made it clear to me, I'm supposed to come here. He'll do the same for you if you seek his will. You'll find it much easier if you'll be obedient to what you've already been shown. Don't follow the crowd. It's not going in the right direction anyway. And let God change you. Renew your mind. We got women's Bible study Sunday morning, men's Bible study Sunday morning. I teach a Bible study on Wednesday nights. The men's, I got another men's Bible study on Friday mornings, a women's Bible study on Wednesday mornings. Places where you could get together with your church family and let God's word be that transforming force in your life. Finally, let me close with this. We're talking about God's will. 2 Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God's will is that you would be saved, that you would come to repentance and you'd come to faith in Jesus Christ if you haven't already. 2 Timothy 2, verses 3 and 4 says, This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Have you done that? Have you begun a relationship with God, a holy and perfect God, by having faith in His Son, Jesus? If you haven't, I want to invite you. Come, pray. Give Jesus your life. Let Him save you. It's your first step into walking in the will of God. And I promise you, You'll never find a better plan for your life than God's plan. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. We've all had moments where we are just sat there wanting to know what you know and not sure what the difference between our voice and yours. Thank you that your word teaches us how to tell the difference. God, I pray for the one here today who knows your will in their life. They know what you want them to do. They know how you want them to live, and they're not walking in it. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would convict them and help them to take the steps you've laid out for them, that they would begin today to walk and to, to hold true to what you've already shown them. God, I pray for that one here today who's just been following the crowd. It feels good to fit in, but it doesn't lead us any place good. Help them to hunger and desire for your will and your ways. To, to want to be in your will more than it is to, to be in with the crowd. And God, I pray for the one here today who's just been satisfied to be a good person and life is comfortable, God, that you would give them a hunger for what's in your word, that they would begin to become transformed. God, you've got plans for them. Awaken them. Awaken them to desire what you have for them, to become who you've designed them to be, to discover the good works that you've set aside for them before they were even born you had these planned 
Help them to run the race that you've got marked out for them specifically. And Father, if there be one here today who has yet to take that first step of faith and trust your son Jesus, what he did for them on the cross, giving his life as a sacrifice for their sins, that today would be the day that they would finally take that step and trust you to save them. Father, whatever your will is, have it in these moments. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.